prayer in the life of a believer. And I'm looking forward to just seeing what God does over the next four weeks. This series won't be long. We're just going to take four weeks in the summertime. I try not to do long series because I know that there's so many people on vacation. They're traveling. They're coming. They're going. And so I try not to uh, do long series throughout the summer. So we're just going to do some short series that I hope will be a help and an impact on your life, especially as we talk about this powerful topic of prayer. It's something that we've all heard about, we've talked about, we have some experience with, but when it comes to the practical day-to-day, are we praying, sometimes we just, it's almost so easy that we just kind of don't pray, because I think there's a certain element of Christianity that just kind of, they almost make prayer so easy, like, hey, just do, you could just pray whenever, but the problem with me, and I don't know if you're the same, if I'm doing something else that kind of I need to engage my mind in what I'm doing, it's hard for me to pray. Or maybe I'm doing an activity that um, some people say, well, I pray when I exercise or when I'm out running or something like that. And maybe that works for you. For me, maybe I'm just too ADD. I'm the kind of that person that will see, you know, something and it will catch my mind or I'll see a sign and I'll start thinking about something else while I pray. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the point where there's this extreme where prayer is really easy, just pray whenever. Then there's this other extreme where it's like, no, you need to have a quiet place, certain time, needs to be at 2 a.m. in the morning, shoes off. You need to have a wool rug, you know, lambskin that you kneel on, you pray, you face Jerusalem. There's, there's these two extremes of prayer. And so what often happens is we just kind of fall into the gap where we might pray before meals. And we don't have a real communion with God, a, a prayer time with God. And so throughout the next four weeks, we want to talk about building a strong prayer life. It's key to the Christian life. Jesus said this. He said in the Gospels, my house shall be called an house of prayer. Not a house of music, though the church enjoys good music. Not a house of preaching, though the church should have good preaching. Not a house of um, friendliness, but he said, hey, the earmark of my house, of his house, he said, I want it to be prayer. Prayers offered to God. And here's what's amazing is when he taught his disciples the model prayer, he said, pray our Father which art in heaven. And I take that and I'm kind of blown away by that fact because throughout the life of Jesus, whenever he prayed, he always prayed Father. Except one time when he was on the cross, he prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only time he prayed. Why? Because the relationship was broken. Oftentimes, I think you and I pray, dear God, dear Jesus, we might pray, dear Father, but based on the model prayer, Jesus said, pray our Father. But what's interesting is he uses that word that says our Father to represent that, hey, we're brothers. We're coming to the same Father. We have equal access. He's saying, Jesus is teaching, he's saying that just like I have access to the Father, you as a believer in Christ have access to that same Father. So we come to the same Father and we pray and we make our petitions known. And so that's how we begin our prayer. But as I begin to think about prayer, I just thought of just some funny prayers that you and I pray. I mean, have you thought about that prayer that you may have heard it when you were younger? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep. Imagine you're just a little kid in a dark room. The lights are out. And now you're kneeling by your bed with your parents. And they're about to pray this prayer. All right, Johnny, Susie, let's pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray my soul to take. And then mom and dad saying, all right, good night, closing the door in the dark room. The kid's just laying there. You know, like, I'm not going to sleep. I mean, our prayers just kind of sometimes, they just kind of sound funny. Or there's the other prayer that we pray, Lord, bless this food. Anybody, you pray over your food, Lord, bless this food. And the reason I think that's funny is because we'll sit down to eat a double greasy cheeseburger with extra bacon, extra cheese, large fry, large Coke, not even diet. And then we pray, God, bless this food. Like, like God, I pray that you will cancel out the fat calories I'm about to ingest, and I pray that this is going to be like kale and salmon to my body. 
Like, what are we praying? I mean, come on, think about our prayer. It's like, God, just it, it takes a lot of faith that that greasy cheeseburger isn't going to clog an artery or something. So we just pray some amazing prayers. But this series, I hope, will be a unique in the sense when we talk about prayer. It's got a unique title, um, BHAP kind of came from an idea out of a book that I read uh, not too long ago, maybe maybe a year ago, not quite a full year ago, and uh, it was a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Some of you may have been familiar with the book, and in the book, he talks about great companies and the companies that never quite made it, and he talked about Boeing, and he said Boeing, up until, you know, the 1940s, 1950s, was primarily, they built um, bombers, and they built military aircraft but then once the end of world war ii they saw that hey we we see the end is in sight all of our contracts are military contracts and if there's no wars going on we don't make as much money and at that time they were making some heavy aircraft well the board got together and said what are we going to do and they decided to do was to say let's get into the commercial airline business which the board was saying, what are we doing in the commercial airline business? No, no, no. We build military uh, planes. We build the C-140 Hercules. We, we be build the, the B-52 bomber. And this is what we build. We're not into the passenger uh, uh, building aircraft. That's not what we do. Well, the company debated and they talked about it for a long time. And finally, they said, okay, we're going to build a commercial airline, commercial jet. The very first one in history. At that time, in the 1950s, everybody else was still using props for their, for their uh, uh, airplanes. And at this time, Boeing decided, you know, we're going to make ours a jet engine. Not only that, it's going to hold an unbelievable 152 passengers. And so with that, 1952, the first Boeing 707 launched. And the company since then has taken off. Why? Because they said, this is not what we're used to doing. But they said, we're going to set a, what they called in the book, a BHAB, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And I began to think about my personal life. I be- began to think about, more specifically, my prayer life. And I was thinking, God, am I setting myself up to pray for a big, hairy, audacious prayer? Because your prayer life might be like mine, and that is, it's kind of boring. Boring. And when my prayer life gets boring, I don't pray. Why? Because it's boring. When something's boring, we don't just keep going back to it unless you're just a glutton for punishment. And so what I've decided, and I've thought this might be a help, is the fact that I think we need to get back to reawakening ourselves to the thought that, wait a minute, God wants us to pray big prayers. Not just, God, I want your favor. Or this one I catch myself praying, God, I pray that you would watch over us. But the Bible already says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. He's already always watching. Why am I praying for things that God is already doing? Oh, God bless me. And God's like, I am. I'm giving you air to breathe. I'm giving you a family. I'm giving you a great church. I'm giving all these things. I am blessing you. What are you asking for that I'm not doing? Because if you search your prayer life, I, I find there's a lot of redundancies. We kind of ask for the same things. We don't ever stretch ourselves and say, God, I want to pray for something big. I want to pray for something awesome. And so here in this series over the next four weeks, I want to encourage you that in your prayer life, what behaps are you praying for? What big, hairy, audacious prayers are you asking God for? Because it's only then that your prayer life becomes exciting, especially when God says he's going to start answering you. Because as I look through scripture and I come across Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, Call unto me and and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. God is saying, hey, if you'll ask, I'll do it. I'll jump in. But what happens is too often you and I, we're not even praying. We're not even asking. We're not even seeking God to do something above all that we can ask or think. God is wanting to do it. You see, if we would just step into that, if we would just say, God, I want you to do something great. I need you to do something great. Let's take our Bibles to a character this morning. And if we can, out of the respect for the word of God, go to Jer- James chapter number five. And it's only two verses. And it's almost, I feel bad almost having you stand. But let's stand as we read the word of God. Just two verses. James chapter number five. We're going to look at a character by the name of Elijah. And in James chapter number five, it's almost the last verses of the book of James. James chapter number five, I want you to meet a character. And this character, he doesn't know it, but he's praying a behalf. 
And here's what the Bible says. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, meaning that Elijah was like you and I. He struggled with his prayer life. Elijah was like you and I. He fell asleep when he got early to, uh, got up early and tried to pray. Elijah struggled with his relationship. Elijah had temptation. Elijah had bad thoughts. Elijah messed up. He's saying, hey, Elijah's just like you and I, okay? But notice this. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Here's a guy who prayed an audacious prayer. He said, God, I pray that it would not rain for three and a half years. And some of you are thinking, is he still praying? Ask him to stop because we need some rain in California. We need some water. It's too dry here. But what happens is, is that time period, there was a wicked king and that wicked king was turning the people towards idolatry, worshiping a false god. His name was Baal, and Baal was the storm god. He was the god in charge of the weather patterns. And And Elijah said, no, I'm going to turn the people's hearts back towards the one true God. So, God, I'm praying that you will shut up heaven, that you will stop the rains so the people would get their hearts back on you. And so we're going to look at this character this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we study the character of Elijah, that we would be encouraged in our prayer life, that we'd be emboldened to pray big prayers, audacious prayers, that we'd be a church, though, that our size doesn't have to affect the size of our prayers that we would be bold in our asking and we will see you faithful in the giving as we continue to grow and develop and seek you and look to you to do abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. We love you, God. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you write this down? God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Too often, I think we feel like, no, I can't ask God for big things. I haven't been good enough or I haven't been doing enough right things. No, God says, come unto me and ask. You come, you ask, God answers. But this character of Elijah, he's got a unique request. He's asking God to hold back the rain. It's one thing to ask for rain, but he's asking God to stop the normal cycle of the earth to stop it to put everything on hold it wasn't global warming but here he said god i need you to do something and we've got to go back and pick up the rest of this story because this is two verses in the new testament elijah lived thousands of years previous in the old testament we meet this character in first kings chapter number seven you don't have to turn there it's in your worship guide You'll see this passage of scripture, but let me start and just give you a little bit of background because this character, he just kind of explodes on the scene with no warning, with uh, no announcement. Here, Elijah just kind of comes like a bolt of lightning out of nowhere, and here's what he does in 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. That's a bold prediction right there. That's a bold statement. You see, here Elijah said, no, I'm going to pray and ask God to do something big. And he explodes on the scene. He comes to the time in Israel's history where they're far away from God. They need to be brought back to God. And here Elijah prays that, God, would you do it through not sending the rain? You've got to understand, Israel was an agrarian society. They relied on what was called in that time the former and latter rain. It was a rain that would come in the fall, and then it was a rain that would come again in around March, those two times a year. They relied on that rain just so they could get their crops in, so they could plant new crops. And if those rains didn't come those two times a year, they were done for. It's one thing to go a year without rain, to go two years, but to go three and a half years without rain, you can understand this would decimate the economy. And so now the people are starting to get desperate. And they at one time were looking to Baal because he's the storm god. He's the god that they would worship, that they would pray to to send rain. But Baal's not sending the rain. Baal is not answering. And so we see that here at this point, God answered this prayer of Elijah. I've noticed that when it comes to prayer, that prayer is simply taking small steps to a larger life. You say, why should we pray? Because prayer is taking a small step to a larger life. 
Because when you pray, you're opening what God can do. You see, right now, if you're not praying, you're not seeking God, then you're limited to what you can do. But the moment you pray, the moment you ask God, you have now just opened the door to greater opportunities. So to the person who's not praying, I want to speak to you this morning and say you are limiting your own life by not praying. You're limiting what God wants to do in you and through you. You cannot keep complaining the way you are complaining and not pray. You see, you're complaining, but then you have no reason when you have a God who can take care of those complaints. You have a God who can take care of those needs, but yet too often we come back to the fact that, no, 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 I'll just kind of uh, do it on my own. When God is saying, no, I am here to meet that need. Will you start praying? Because prayer is taking a small step to a larger life. Are you taking that step? Is it a pattern with you? You see, the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. I mean, think about it. How many times have you thought about praying about something you didn't? And then you wonder why I never, you never saw an answer to that prayer. You wonder why that never came to pass. Because you didn't ask God. Because you didn't bring the request. Because you didn't come boldly to the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4 says. That you didn't bring that petition to God. That you didn't say, God, I need you in this situation. One Sunday morning in 1852, a woman was uh, sitting in a church service very similar to this. And she had been burdened because she had that week seen a great social injustice being done. And she was sitting in a church service burdened about what she could do. Her name was Harriet, and Harriet was sitting there with her children, and she was praying to God, saying, God, what can I do? I'm just a, 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 a wife, and I just have a few children. What can I do about this great injustice that is being done? Well, God gave her that mental image that she had seen that week. And God impressed something on her heart, so she went home, and she began to just write. Didn't know what God was going to do, but she just began to write. Uh, the historians say she was writing on anything she had. She would run out of paper, so she would find a bit of canvas or a bit of, of something just to keep writing, keep writing. She didn't stop until she had completed 42 chapters of a book. She assembled the book, and she took it to a publisher by the name of Jewett. And she took it to him, and the man said, I don't think this book will sell. But he said, we'll run 3,000 copies. We'll publish the book. He said, just don't hold your breath. I don't, I don't think this book will go over. They released 3,000 copies, and in the first day, all 3,000 copies of Uncle Tom's Cabin were sold. And then the next day, another uh, 5,000, and they kept printing them. They kept printing them. Almost every home in America had one, including the White House. And it was reported that Abraham Lincoln came to this woman, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and said, are you the little woman that started this big war? That ultimately was the beginning to the end of slavery a great injustice in our country. And it started because one woman said, I've got a prayer. I've got something inside of me. And it was that prayer that God said, okay, I'll start there. Because your small step is the beginning to a larger life. The moment you pray, what is on your heart that you've been looking and asking God to do, but you haven't brought it and brought it? What is something that you look around your life and you say, this needs to change. That could be different that you're not bringing to God. Why aren't you praying? You see, God answers 100% of the prayers we don't ask. So if you're not asking, you cannot be expecting God. Here, Elijah, he comes to a nation, and he comes on the scene. And this nation, they need a, a man of God to stand up and point the nation back to God. And he has a simple prayer, and God answered that simple prayer. God began to work in the heart of Israel. And they began to have a time, what we would call, uh, turning back to God. In this same chapter, a chapter later, in chapter 18, there's like the great showdown in the Bible. Some of you may be familiar with it. Elijah and the 450 false prophets of Baal, then Baal, they're going to come to the Mount Carmel. My wife and I stood on this mountain in 2010. We got to look out. It looks out over uh, the great valleys, and you can see for miles around, strategic point, the top of Mount Carmel. And we were up there, and we saw it, and I was just thinking in my mind what it would have been like to have been Elijah because he was one man standing against 450 false prophets, and he had a desire, one desire, and it wasn't necessarily fire from heaven. Some of you are like, that was his desire. No, no, his desire was the people would turn their hearts back to God, which was a much bigger prayer request than fire falling from the sky. And so he began to pray. I want to pick it up in this passage. And the Bible talks about how there was his ultimate showdown. Let me start in verse 27 of chapter 18. And it says, and it came to pass at noon 
that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God, for it, for he is a God. Neither he is talking or pursuing, or he is in journey, or peradventure he sleeps and must be awoken. And they cried aloud and cut themselves in the manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed upon them. You see, what were they doing? They set up two altars. There was one altar to Baal. There was another altar to Jehovah. And here they sat down and Elijah said, all right, you guys, you get a bowl and you guys call down fire from heaven and I'll pray and I'll call down fire from heaven. Whichever God answers first, that is the God the nation of Israel will follow. And so they called for hours. They started in the morning and now it's about uh, midday and they've been praying. It's almost three o'clock in the afternoon and Elijah's mocking them because they haven't seen anything. They're desperate. They're cutting themselves. They're begging Baal to answer, and he's not sending fire down. And at 3 o'clock, Elijah decides, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to do something. And notice what Elijah did. The Bible says, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Judah. And, when, and whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Notice two things. First of all, he repaired the altar. There was something that had been forgotten, something that was broken down. He repaired it. Sometimes in our lives, there are things that are broken down we need to get back to. Maybe you, used, you were once used to having a regular prayer time. Maybe you were used to keeping a prayer journal. Maybe it's time to, you know, get back to that prayer journal and dust it off a little bit and get back to writing down those prayers and seeking God once again. See, he had to restore some things. He restored it. But then, along with that, he builds up this altar. And then he calls the 12 tribes. He says, hey, everybody get a stone, one for each tribe, showing unity. There's a powerful thing that happens when we're united. If you go back to uh, Acts and chapter number 3, it talks about before Pentecost comes, it talked about how they were in one accord, and that wasn't a car. They were in unity. They were in together. They were united, and God sent a great outpouring of his spirit. Why? Because they were together. They were united. And here in this passage, here is Elijah saying, hey, I'm calling back not just part of the nation back to God. I'm not just calling half of the nation. I'm calling all 12. So he gets 12 stones. He says, hey, together we're going to seek God again. Together we're going to do this so when it comes to praying big prayers as a church let's be together in this let's be united and saying we're going to pray and ask god for big things things that seem bigger than us dreams that seem far off but that we believe god would get glory for that we would start having sanctified wishes that god would get glory through our church through us as individuals that god would be magnified and so they begin to pray but notice as he began to pray, and Elijah took 12 stones. And the number of the tribes of the sons of Judah unto them, when the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the, the bull in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Notice it's about three o'clock. That is the time of the evening sacrifice, according to Jewish custom. So it's 3 o'clock. He's brought the bull. Why would they shed a bull, though? As I began to look at this passage, I was thinking, why did it have to be a bull? Because not only was the nation of Israel coming back to, they were repairing the altar. Not only were they coming back to uh, what they used to follow, but then also this was the evening offering. This was the offering that was to shed blood, which was to be a sin offering for the sin of the people. Elijah was coming back to saying, hey, we used to offer the sin offering. We used to offer a, a, a heart of repentance. This was the people saying, hey, we repent of our sins. We want to come clean before God. Here he is. He's saying, hey, let's bring the bull back. Let's get those offerings back. Because too often I think we go through our lives and we're not repenting before God. Prayer is that one time where we come back and say, God, there's been some junk that I've allowed in my life. And in my prayer time, I confess to God. I confess and I let God know, here's what I've done wrong. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy to cover that. The Bible says in 1 John uh, 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the key is to confess. And if we're not praying, we're not confessing. It's been said that the happiest Christians are the most repentant Christians. Why? Because their heart and their soul is not weighted down with the sins and the guilt and the, the trash and the junk that they've acquired. 
when are we regularly coming before God and saying, God, I, I, I've messed up. I've got to confess this. I've got to get right with you. It's one thing to, to, to say, God, I've got a big prayer, but when are we coming clean before God? Because the Bible says, the psalm said, they were looking for a man who would lift holy hands to God. Can we lift holy hands to God? Can we lift clean hands to God? Can we lift pure hands to God and say, God, I'm crying out to you. I need you. I'm in desperate need of your help in this situation. But are our hands clean before God? Let's first take care of just like Elijah did of these people. He first said, hey, we got to repair the altar. But then we're bringing an, uh, uh, a sacrifice, a, a sin offering, so that the, the, the shedding of blood is the only way of remission of sin. Notice in verse 33, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Think for a minute. I don't know about you if you've ever been camping when it was wet or maybe you're trying to start a fire with wet wood. Anybody ever tried that? Yeah, it doesn't work too good. The wood might steam. There's going to be a whole lot of smoke, but you're not going to get that nice, roaring, romantic fire that you were hoping to roast marshmallows on or you were hoping to just kind of cuddle up by. Why? Because the wood is wet. So if I'm having a competition and I want to win, I'm not going to pour water on the wood. Elijah is proving a point. He's proving that God is stronger than any obstacle. He's proving a point that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. And he's trying to prove to the people, not just these 450 false prophets, he's trying to prove to the people that God can do great things if we'll follow him. That when we pray, it's taking a small step to a larger life. And as he began to pour this water on, the rest of the crowd was thinking, Elijah's lost it. He's been in the desert sun for too long. What is he doing? He's pouring water all over this offering pouring it on the rocks, pouring it on the bull, pouring it on the wood. And notice in verse 35, and the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass about the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Did you see what just happened in that passage? Can you picture in your mind here all morning, these false prophets have been begging their false god to send fire. Nothing happened. Matter of fact, all you got to smell that day was this dying, dead, decaying carcass of some animal. As Elijah steps up, and he even ups the ante by pouring water on it. Why? Because he wanted to show that God doesn't just show up, but God can show off. And it's okay to let God show off in your life. It's not just one thing that we pray, God, show up. God wants to show off, show off a little bit in our life. He wants to show off in your family. He wants to show off in your business. He wants to show off in your marriage. He wants to show off how good and how great he can be. Where everybody else will look back and say, wow, you've got an awesome God. You serve a great God. Your God's doing some incredible things. Why would we as a church want to build buildings? Or why would we want to grow? Because we want the world to know that there's still a great God. That no matter what may happen in the White House, no matter what may happen in our country, we still serve a great God who can do all, who's above it all, who can take care of it all. And that's the God that we serve. So Elijah's right there. That was good. You don't want to get excited about it. That's fine. I'll just keep getting excited over here by myself. Thank you. A uh, little, little patty kick there. All right. I, I see it. It'll take me a while to get you going this morning. I understand. We're doing a little Bible study this morning. But understand, when we're talking about God, he shows up and he wants to do something awesome in our lives. But what happens is... Here's our prayer. Dear God, I pray that you bless all the people. God, I pray that you would be with every peoples. Amen. What kind of prayer is that? Well, we pray that. We pray these generic, random, like if it happened, you wouldn't know it kind of prayers. We don't pray big, hairy, audacious prayers, the type of prayer where you would be embarrassed to tell anybody you're praying it's that big. That it's one of those prayers you're almost embarrassed to, to ask it. You're almost embarrassed because you're thinking, this is too big. That's the prayers we got to get back to. Because for too long, we, play, we pray these small, insignificant prayers. God, help me at work. God's saying, yeah, you're alive. You're breathing. Your body is working. I did help you. 
Let's get specific. Let's get bigger than that. Let's get to the point where, God, you gave me this job. Let me glorify you in this job. God, you gave me that neighbor. Let me glorify you and let me show that neighbor that you're real, that you're big and you're strong, that no matter what's happening, that you're a God who will love them and take care of them. That's what I want to show you. And that's what prayer does. When else do we get to see God work as a church? Do we just sit there and just kind of, you know, meditate on it? The only way we see God work is when we ask, is when we pray. And if you're not seeing God work, it's because you're not asking. It's not because he's not listening. It's not because he doesn't want to. Jesus said, hey, pray our Father. So as much access as Jesus had to God, you have to God. And that's saying a lot. Because when Jesus prayed, his prayers got answered. And he's saying, hey, guys, pray. This is how you got to pray. So here's Elijah. He comes on the scene and he prays and God answers. Some would say, that's just a coincidence. Understand, when you pray, there is no coincidence. It's only providence. There is no coincidence. When you are praying for a miracle and God shows up and cures your disease, that's not a coincidence. That's not science. That's God. When you were praying that God would take care of a financial bill and God took care of it, that's not a coincidence. That's God. You were asking God to come through and get that promotion, and you got that promotion. You're thinking, well, it's because my boss likes me. No, it's because your God likes you. He's the one who's doing it. And he's the one that wants to show up and show off in your life. But if you're not asking, if you're not presenting, then what can God do? Because God answers 100% of the prayers. We don't ask. Notice not only is prayer taking a small step to a larger life, prayer is seeking God more than seeking answers. You see, the big point of this wasn't so they could have roast barbecue. That wasn't the point of this. The point was for the nation of Israel to get back to seeking God. Here's what I find in my life. When you come to a dry spell spiritually, when you come back to where you get back on eyes on God, you'll find that your spirit, your heart will be revived because you're in communion with God. And just like if you were ever to uh, change out an a, a outlet or an electrical socket, you come in contact with 220 volts or 110 volts, it's going to shock you. You're going to feel a jolt. Just like when you come in contact with God, you're going to be changed. Because God is saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing a work. I'm going to change you. So the key is not just that we seek answers. We're seeking the God who can give answers. The point of prayer is that we would have restored fellowship. Elijah, he repaired that altar because why? He wanted to restore repentance. You see, prayer keeps me dialed into God's frequency. It keeps me focused on him. But sadly, I think sometimes we're more comfortable in the presence of others more than we're comfortable in the presence of God. We could talk for hours to other people. But we find it so difficult to talk to God for a few minutes. Why is that? Why does it seem like when we come to God, we don't even know exactly what to say? Um, uh, big man upstairs? Uh, no, that doesn't sound right. Uh, hey, cheap? No, that doesn't work. Uh, Abba, Father? Ah, that does. That sounds weird coming out. No, uh, uh, Daddy, God? Ah, no, that just. Uh, how, we find it so uncomfortable. We find it even almost embarrassing too to talk to Him. Why? Because we go so long. Some of us, I think we've had the friend that you never see them and they never show up until they want something from you. And you're like, man, you're such a fair weather friend. Like when things are good, you're there. But when things are bad, you're not there. And when you do show up, I know you want something. So just tell me right now, what is it that you want? Let's just like save all the shenanigans, you know. Just tell me what is it you want because I know you just want something. And some of you, you feel like that's how you approach God. And that's what's stopping you from praying. Because you feel like, well, the only time I pray is when I have a need. And I call it emergency prayers. Somebody's sick, problems at home, problems with your job, problems with your emotions, or a problem in your relationships, and it's just kind of emergency room prayers. Just kind of, that's the only time you pray. And God is saying, hey, I'll, I'll answer those, but I want to be more than that. I don't want to just be your emergency room prayer. I don't want it just to come when you have a desperate need that that's when you come. I want you to be asking me constantly, building this relationship where you're comfortable in the presence of God. Are you finding that you're growing more and more comfortable in God's presence? The only way to do that is to constantly be praying. Not only that, prayer takes God's somber will and makes it my sanctified wish. Because for some of you may be thinking, the reason I don't pray as much as I should because all my prayers are kind of selfish. Can I tell you what? We're always going to kind of have a bent towards selfish prayers. Because we have just needs that are just kind of, they seem selfish, but that's all right. God will sort that out, won't he? He knows if you need that brand new BMW, he, he, he can sort that out. He can take care of that. He'll provide or he won't. There you have your answer. 
He'll provide whether you need that bonus or not. He'll provide whether you need that house or not. He'll provide whether or not that thing needs to work out. He will answer, but don't let that be the reason you stop asking. Don't be that, that where you just feel like, well, well, all of mine, just they, they just don't seem very spiritual. Like, I have to only pray spiritual prayers. No, no, praying is an act of communication with God. So start communicating. Prayer is about asking more than answering. Be focused on God, and you'll see that God will answer. Not only this, the more you focus on God, that problem that you were praying about, it'll start to seem a whole lot smaller because your God just starts to get bigger and bigger. And you'll walk out of your, your time with God, and you're just thinking, man, I walked in feeling down, feeling discouraged, but I walked out feeling like God can do something about it. Because prayer is not just about seeking answers. It's about seeking God, and that's what God wants. He wants us to seek him. And then lastly, prayer is having a vision beyond your resources. Think about it. Here's Elijah. He's praying for rain. Rain. This is way beyond his resources. It's not like he can come up with this. Not like he can just make this. Not like he can just make this happen. We read in James where he said he prayed for three and a half years that it would not rain. Well, that part came true. But at the end of this chapter 18, now he's going to pray that it will rain again. Let's pick up this passage. Verse number 42, or 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get you up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up, look towards the sea, and he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. That's discouraging. Now it's been three and a half years, they need rain. The nation has come back to God, and so now that they've had what we would call repentance, now they're in a state of revival, renewal, now he wants, uh, uh, here Elijah wants to bring the blessing back of rain. He says, okay, God, these people have turned back to you. Let's turn on the faucet again. Let's bring the blessing back. He prayed once, and it stopped. Now he prayed, and the servant looked out to where the ocean was, where the storms would come up. He says, there's nothing, Elijah. There's nothing. And at that point, I think we can relate. I also think we've all been there. We've asked God for a big prayer. We've asked God for something. We pray. And then we get up from our prayer time with God, and we think, God, did you do it? We go to the post office and see, did that check come in? We go to the spouse and see if the relationship is restored, and no, you slam the door in your face, no, okay. You go back and see if that pink slip's still in the box, oh, it's still there. You go back to see if that, uh, the, the doctor's report has changed. It's, it hasn't changed. And for some of us, after the one time of praying, that's where we would stop. After praying that first time, we'd say, okay, that's enough. But I notice Elijah didn't. The Bible says in verse 43, and he said to his servant, go up now towards the sea. And he went up and looked, and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again. So he goes up again. He comes back to Elijah. Second time, Elijah gets up from praying and says, is, is there a cloud? Is there anything, something? The servant says, no. He goes and looks, and Elijah sends it back a third time, comes back for a third time, nothing. A fourth time, comes back and nothing. A fifth time, comes back and nothing. A sixth time, comes back and nothing. For many of us, we'd say, I've been praying about this issue for so long, I'm about ready to give up. But I'm glad he didn't stop on the sixth time. Because the Bible says on the seventh time, which is the number of completion, Verse number 43. And it came to pass that at the seventh time he said, Behold, there's a little cloud. After all that prayer, there's a little cloud. I think you and I would be like, he prayed all that time for just a little cloud? And here, it gets a little bit better. The servant says, the cloud is like the size of a man's hand. How did he even see that? A cloud the size of a man's hand. But I love the reaction of Elijah. And Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and, and get, get down. The rain will stop you if you don't go. All that Elijah heard was that there's a little cloud, just something so small, so insignificant. But that was enough for Elijah, that there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. That's all that it took for Elijah to believe. That's all that he needed. 
And as the servant went down, which many believe this is the widow's son that he had raised to life again. This is that servant. And he sent that servant to go to Ahab and tell Ahab, hey, you've got to go. There's a small little cloud, and God's going to send the rain. And notice what happens in verse 45. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heavens were black with clouds and the wind. There was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Israel. All it took was just that little bit, that little sign. See, I want you to understand that prayer is having a vision beyond your resources and letting God supply them. Because you may be thinking, I've, I've got something that I, I don't, I, God's called me to do this, but I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability. That's a behalf. That's a big, hairy, audacious prayer. That's a prayer that you need God in on. That's the vision that God wants to answer. That's something that God wants to be a part of. As we pray, you see, God isn't offended by big prayers. He's offended by anything less. Why did we get to the point where we stopped asking God for big prayers? When our kids are younger, prayer is so natural and easy for them, isn't it? It's just so easy for our kids to just kind of ask for anything. It just comes natural to them. They go through any store and they just ask for everything. And then what is our response? We'll see. We'll see. And then they come back five minutes later. Did you see yet? You know, how about now? You know, hey, it's been 45 seconds. What about now? And they just kind of keep coming back. And when they ask you, they think you can do it. I'm amazed at what my kids think that I can do. They think I can just do anything. They think I can buy anything for them. Austin's asked me for dinosaurs before. Hey, can you give me a dinosaur? Like, you know, he's asked for T-Rex, Triceratops. He's like, eh, and I'll get a little toy. No, a real one. And I'm like, no, kid, I can't, you know. We're still waiting for the whole Jurassic Park thing to actually work, all right? No, it's not going to happen. But our kids just have this, this faith. They just believe. I'm curious to know when it stopped. I don't know if you remember when it stopped for you. Was in our teen years, we just, I don't know, we just got pessimistic. Did our faith die? I love being around people who they never lost that childlike faith. That they still, when you start talking about God, their eyes light up. And you can see that inside their heart, God is just as real to them like you and I are. And you can just sense it when they pray and when they talk about God, that it's just real with them. That to them, God is not some abstract being. That God is somebody near and dear. And then you hear them pray, and you're just in awe of their prayers. Because it's not like they're praying to somebody else. And it's not like anybody else is in the room. They are communing with Almighty God, the great being in the universe. And they're having this relationship. And it almost, you can get choked up thinking about it. And you start thinking, God, I want that kind of a prayer. There was a man by the name of John Hyde. He was a missionary that went to India. John Hyde was not a great preacher at all. People, matter of fact, said he was a pretty lousy preacher. And so he went to India, and he went there, not a whole lot of ability, not a whole lot of skill, didn't even speak the language. But he came with a simple prayer. He said, God, would you let me lead one person to Christ every day? At the end of that year, 404 people had given profession that they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior at the end of that year. He said, God, the next year, would you give me two people that I can win to Christ? Just two people every day that I can win to Christ in this country. And John Hyde, he would go and he would pray, and he would pray. They would say that John Hyde could pray for eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours. They would find that he would just skip meals, and they would come to him. They would try to wake John Hyde up, or they, they would try to bring him to go eat, and he, and he would just be there in prayer. He wouldn't leave from kneeling. He just constantly, in this attitude of prayer, just constantly begging God. At the end of that second year where he prayed for two souls every day, he saw 1,200 people one for Christ. Each year he kept adding and adding, and there are thousands of people that that man led to the Lord because he just had a big prayer that he just kept praying over. And he said, hey, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to leave this place of praying, this place of asking for God to do something great. What I think you and I do is we pray over something once, and we think that's enough. How many times did you have to ask your wife out before she actually said yes? For some of you, it wasn't the first time. For some of you, you want to believe it is the first time. For some of us, you know, we make up a story like, oh, she couldn't resist me. I'm irresistible. But then we think about it, you know, it took a little while. How many times did it take to kind of win them over? It didn't just happen one time. It was a process that we kept working at. All great things in life, we had to work for them. And so for prayer, especially the bigger the prayer, should be the longer the prayer. 
But for whatever reason, we think the bigger the prayer, 30 sections should suffice. Are you kidding me? That's not going to work. The bigger the prayer, the longer the prayer. The longer it's going to take. You're doing something great. But too often, prayer is having a vision beyond your resources. But for many of us, our budgets determine our vision. Oh, my budget doesn't have it to give to missionaries. Oh, my budget doesn't have it. Uh, my my to-do list is too busy. I can't go out and help out on the Occupy All Streets this summer. I, I'm just too busy. My schedule doesn't allow it. Your resources are limiting your vision. See, God's given you a great vision, and you're looking at your resources, but get your eyes off the resources. That's what we talked about last week, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. That's our source. That's where we look to. Where are our eyes? Are they on ourselves? Of course we're going to be depressed and discouraged. But if they're on God, all of a sudden we see this vision. We say, yeah, it's possible. God can do it. He has the resources. Prayer helps us see around the problem. When we act in faith, knowing that the one who gave the vision will also supply the provision. You see, Elijah had backed himself into a corner, and the only way out was a miracle. You've got to believe that he's on his knees, and he's got his face in his hands, and he's praying, and he's thinking, oh, God, you better send some rain. God, please send some rain. But I know what's going to happen. Your feelings will tell you that you're setting yourself up for failure, but your faith in the Holy Spirit will tell you you're setting yourself up for a miracle. Every time you step out and say, God has given me this great calling, this great vision, I don't see the resources. I don't see the provision. Your feelings are saying, ah, you're setting yourself up for failure, buddy. This is not a smart move. This isn't smart at all. What are you doing? But then you're going to see that actually you're setting yourself up for a miracle. You're setting yourself up for a place where you're between a rock and a hard place, and God's going to come through. As we read the Old Testament, Moses led the children of Israel out, and they were coming to the Red Sea. Behind him was Pharaoh's army, and on the other side, there's mountains. And there he had a decision. God, what are you going to do? And God says, Stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. God did a miracle. See, God wants to work. But what happens is we never put ourselves in a place that requires one. We never put ourselves in a desperate spot. We never say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do beyond what I see physically possible. I'm going to put myself out there. And then lastly, we've got to wrap it up with this. Your deadline won't always fit God's timeline. If there's anything, we look at this passage. It's that here he's waiting. He's saying, God, I, I need this to happen right now. And it wasn't. And for some of you, you feel like, man, this, this, this has got to happen. I need God to answer today. I need it right now. And your deadline may not be on God's timeline. God may say, I'm going to do that. Don't worry. But not right now. It's not a no. It's just not right now. And so we've got to trust God and stay consistent that God is working through the divine delays. My wife and I, we were privileged to buy a house several years ago in this area. And just through a series of events, um, there's no way we should have been able to buy a house. Just no way. We thought uh, we'd be able to, but then it came back. We weren't. But then there was another opportunity, and there was a foreclosure. It was at the bottom of the market, 2010, and it was a, uh, a, a home that was going to go into foreclosure. And they, they, they originally, we put in our offer, and they rejected it. Of course, you know, it's way too low. Thought they could get more. And then on, on uh, New Year's night, uh, 2010, we got a phone call from our realtor, and she said, the other buyer walked. The other buyer was in escrow had offered more than what we did, and that buyer walked. You're next in line. Do you still want the house? Went, yeah, we want the house. Can you do a 30-day escrow? And I was like, we will make it happen. And as soon as they said that, man, then the city came because we were using a special loan where the city had to come, and they said they put on a new roof. They put in a patio. They put in AC. They put in electrical. They did all this stuff. They didn't pull permits. The homeowner says, I'm not pulling permits for it thousand dollars worth of permits then you have to have these people come out and permit it and i had this lady she came out and uh, you love the city anybody has to work with the city you just love these these, these people they're they're uh, I, if you work for the city i got to be kind all right i'm a pastor i need to be kind i'm trying to be kind but if i say something unkind i apologize all right i'm still working through some things you guys are cheaper than therapy all right and so uh, you know uh, this lady comes out and she's like um i need to inspect the roof she got out of her prius and i'm not kidding when she got out of her Prius, the car, like, shifted to normal. When she got out, it was riding really low on one side. And I was like, whoa, Nelly. Wow. And she's like, I need to get on your roof. And I was like, please don't get on the roof. <laughs> I do not know if this roof is that strong. I kid you not. And then um, a friend of mine told me, he works with the city and pulls permits. He's like, you have to have a special ladder. 
And so I'd, he'd let me borrow his special high-grade ladder. And I get that ladder out, and I was like praying as she's going up. I mean, it's just me, and I'm like a buck twenty-five, soak, soaking wet. You know, there's not much. This, this is gonna go down bad, you know. And then she came, and she's like, "I can't pass this inspection." I was like, "I have to have you pass this inspection, otherwise we don't close." And I had already had ten thousand dollars that I don't get back. We were in escrow. I'm gonna lose this house. This is gonna be bad. And my wife and I, we were sweating. We were just thinking. I don't know if this is going to happen. And she said, no, I can't, I can't sign off. We're like, you have to sign off. And she said, no, I'll come back Monday. Came back Monday, and I was just like, all right, Lord, something's got to happen. You've got to sign off. Signed off, and she came back, and she had found some other things that they said that they needed to sign off on, and I, I didn't know about. And she said, this sale wouldn't have gone through. I had to come back on Monday. Once she signed off on everything, she said, man, if I hadn't come back on Monday, you wouldn't have been able to get this house because they wouldn't have signed off on all these things. I, I had to. And at the time, I was thinking, God, what are you doing? I, I have to have this done today. And God said, no, no, no. Your deadline is not on my timeline. I've got my reason. I've got my purpose. I've got what I want to do as you trust me to see what I can do. You see, we got to intercede until God intervenes. Let me leave you with this. I call it PUSH. You may have heard of it. But it's just a simple acronym that I use when I pray. And it's simply Pray until something happens. Push. Next time you get up to pray, and you've got something that you feel like you need to see God answer, think about your prayers. Think about, I've got to push through. I'm going to pray until something happens. I'm not going to leave this spot. Turn off the phone. Get in the closet. Tell the wife and the kids, I need some time. I just got to pray over this. I've got to have some uninterrupted time. Don't check email. Don't, don't let your mind wander. Just get focused. Maybe getting a prayer journal as you write your prayers. Sometimes I just have to write word for word. Your hand may get tired as you keep writing, but it'll keep you focused in asking God for a specific prayer because in church, we've got to see big prayers. We've got to ask God for big things and not be content with little things. I've got a simple prayer that I want to start asking God for. And it's simply this. God, do something unpredictable and uncontrollable. 